You're listening to the Owner Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how small and medium-sized developers can level up their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming, your host. That's right, it's me again, it's Paul. I have managed to uh, remove Liam, I've kicked him out and you are all stuck with me now. So I'm the new host of the podcast and I'm afraid Liam's deep, husky, dulcet tones will no longer be in your ears, it will just be me. All jokes aside, we took the decision that the podcast moving forward uh, will be hosted by me. And we're going to try to, every week, interview really interesting expert industry professionals and just try and get a bit of focused insight into their views on life. Um, And I'm very pleased today to say that I am joined by a professional who, although interestingly, our two businesses have done quite a lot of work together, personally, neither myself or Hugo have actually managed a project together or really had too much of a conversation up to this point. So I'm really excited to finally speak to him. So uh, without further ado, our guest today is uh, Hugo McLeod from 1200 Works. So how are you doing, Hugo? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, thanks. Good to see you, Paul. And you, and yeah, you. So I'm, I'm Hugo. I'm half of the of 1200 Works, which is a emerging architecture practice. Both of us have... have sort of 10 years-ish experience each of working with much larger practices uh, with all procurement routes and much, much bigger projects than up to sort of hundreds of millions. And now we're sort of working uh, in a sort of more small to medium climate, let's say. And very, uh, very successfully, I might add. Did you? Did I see that you had just been uh, nominated by Architects Journal for Small Project of the Year? Yeah. So I think there's a yes. We're one of the projects which actually C Link were the procurement specialist well, on. That's why I had to plug it, yeah. Hugo. It's the only reason I'm uh, it. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, shortlisted for um, AJ Small Projects Award this year. Yeah, it's it's good little good little project and um yeah I, I think there are hundreds of entries so to just be on the final 20 shortlist is great. yeah no so it's, it's it's awesome and it's a uh, beautiful scheme isn't it is that where you're sat right now um are you it your... is yeah you can see the concrete walls behind me that's what i thought uh, it was those concrete walls that i recognized that it's, yeah. it's a great project yeah yeah it's great no i really really like it so okay cool well i'm going to for the for the sake of our listeners I'm going to jump us back three or four weeks uh, to episode eight, I think it was. And on that episode, we were with one of our regular guests, Jason Farnell, who is a QS by initial qualification, but is a super duper adjudicator, arbitrator. He is he's all things commercial uh, risk management. And we were chatting three or four weeks ago on episode eight about uh, a situation where an architect had delayed a project or the design had been delayed which had affected the rest of the projects we were two qs's in a room being busy little bees trying to work out how best to manage this issue and how to work around it so we were talking hugo about like what's best to put in a consultants agreement what we would do here what we would do there and struck me that it would probably be better to rather than have two qs's meandering around on a topic which uh, we're probably not experts on to chat to someone like you and really just get your point of view about 
projects that you've worked on that have been really successful, how you've been engaged well, clients that you've learned a lot from, and that sort of things, rather than uh, speculating on it incorrectly, as QSs do uh, very often. So that's kind of what I want to talk about in, in this conversation today. Before we do that, and this is a question that I think is really important, considering I'm a QS and I have a totally different view to an architect. Can I ask, as an architect, what do you want to achieve at the start of the project? Like, I mean, what really matters to you? I will tell you as a, as a QS from my perspective, right? So I was always, because this is what my bosses wanted to do, this is, I was all about profitability, right? So my focus as a QS was, how can I deliver this on time? How can I deliver this on budget? And that always competed, at least in my mind, with the architect who was trying to get as much and from my perspective, I thought they were trying to get as much value out of the project as possible to deliver this amazing scheme from an architectural perspective. So I'm happy to be told I'm wrong and I'm, that's incredible. I'm really interested to know what it is you guys set out to do. I think obviously time and on budget, you know, you, want, you don't want to disappoint your client. It needs to come in on time and on budget. But I think there's another factor that architects are concerned with. It's more than perhaps QS is the quality side of it and maintaining the design intent. And it's, it's, I think it's, it's always the time quality cost balance and making sure that the client is aware of what, you know, ultimately if something isn't up to good quality the first time you may end up actually having to do it again, which may be more expensive and actually take longer. So to get it right the first time is, is incredibly important. Yeah. There's always that competing emotion, isn't there, between, or so it seems, right? I don't think it actually is the case a lot of the time, but the QS is always looking to economise and the architect is always looking to spend, spend, spend. It's not quite the way it is, but there's definitely competing opinions. I mean, having been on the developer side, having been novated to the developer and having worked on that side, having actually built some of my own projects for myself uh, and funded privately, I've obviously see the benefit of getting it on time and on budget. You know, my house, um, my wife wasn't very happy when it ran over and I definitely felt the pain there. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, that's gotta be the most difficult client you could ever have. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, so it, it, of course time and budget are incredibly important and it, you know, it's just, I think the architect is there as a, as a stop gap, I suppose, to, to make sure that, the quality is achieved either for even if it's being delivered it depends on the procurement route obviously if it's for a private client and the, the architect isn't novated they stand there and they inspect on behalf of that client if they're potentially novated as part of a dnb or something else then actually the our client would be the developer um, or the contractor and therefore we need to, you know, if we are given a clear instruction, this needs to be that, then our client is instructing us to do that. And, you know, if value engineering needs to occur in order to bring the project in on time and on budget, then sometimes quality does need to be... Um, Ebbed away. Yeah, but but not to the certain, you know, we're here to ensure it's done in the right way. So you could take off and that it's... You know, you'd say you take off all the stringers, metal stringer plates to a staircase, and it means that you've got an exposed concrete edge. It's just, all it is is just managing the process and making sure that everyone knows what it's going to look like at the end of the day. Everyone's signed up to it. It meets the employer's requirements, and and the client is a, the, the ultimate client. The, the developer agrees with what the contractor's doing. And and so, in, in, in short, when you're setting out a, 
on a project and obviously every project is different in terms of the level of quality and so on as expected but what you're really trying to find as an architect is a balance between uh, delivering something of high quality that looks good architecturally and is a nice project for the portfolio but that likewise gives you that balance between quality time and cost so that your client is is happy and you get the repeat business would that be a fair summary yeah that, i think that's true and i think you know monitoring you know where corners not necessarily need to be cut but savings need to be made or the program needs to be accelerated making sure that's done in a manner that has the least impact on the quality of design but for the benefit of all overall moving on then because what we were what we were talking about in episode eight we were talking about how can i create a a consultancy agreement which is all-encompassing which deals with everything that I need to know. I'm a bit scared of the architects. The architect is this expert, this guru on the project. Like They're almost a little bit intimidating. You'll be pleased to know, Hugo. I'm sure you think you're, you're not intimidating whatsoever. But we were, we were talking along along those lines and we were trying to work out how many, how do you find out how many drawings that I need to have included? What is the timeline that I need? What is the scope of work? Who's coordinating? So could you take me back to a project that you've worked on with any client, you don't need to name them at all, but where you've uh, they've engaged you in a way that allowed you to get that balance between cost, time, and quality that you meant that you hit the objectives that you kind of wanted to at the start. And what and what did they do, and how did they make you feel comfortable? It really depends if what kind of client you're talking about, whether it be a private client or a contractor. We work for both. Let's consider this all in the context of I'm an SME developer. I'm doing, I don't know, 10 flats, something in that build. I'm trying to, I'm employing an architect and I want them to help me design out the project. Yeah, so I think clearly things to establish is to get a good appointment in place, a good consultant's agreement, I suppose we call it an architect's appointment. And within that, to clearly establish the design responsibility matrix, to understand for what package the architect is fully has full design responsibility, which elements might be a contractor design portion. Get that nailed up down at the start so that everyone's clear about which drawings are going for construction, which are going for CDP, and therefore you can almost establish which drawings need to be taken to RIBA level stage four or all the way to stage five construction issue. And, and so stage four, sorry, here just to go back to so stage Five is construction issue, right? Stage four is concept design, is that yeah. right? Stage four is typically where you go out to tender. Okay. So, or if you're doing a two-stage tender, it'd be the second stage of that tender. So stage four is typically where you get full design specification. It's beyond performance specification. You get all the drawings, you get all the setting out, uh, you get all the details required to fully tender a project. And then those would be... Most of them would be maintained at that level of information, should already be at a good level for construction. Some might have some design development or a bit of development for some VE from a contractor. But yeah, it's it's, uh, right at the start, I think it's getting this consultant's agreement completely clear, understanding the responsibility of the architect all from whether they're going to produce leasehold plans, whether they're going to, how many times a week they're going to go to site to inspect on behalf of the client to make sure everything's in the in accordance with the ERs. Yeah. Okay. So, so just scaling back. So that's a really, really, and that's something which, like I said, these QSs, we weren't even thinking along those lines. We were talking about scopes of work and like number of drawings, quantifying everything as, as we would, right? But what you're, what you're saying is uh, a design responsibility matrix which 
covers off the key packages effectively. So, for example, the groundworks, the concrete, the fit out, the M&E, th- th- those things you would say I'm taking it to stage stage four, stage five, etc. Yeah, I mean, at the, at the beginning of the project, when potentially a developer comes to us and says, I've got this amazing site, this well, I want to do it, it'd be very difficult to know exactly what the project's going to be. You know, how many stair cores there are going to be, the, you know, but it's, you've got to do a few feasibility studies, work it out. You really want to maximize the potential of that site for the client. And so there'd be a number of options and it'd be some iterative design process, a bit of optioneering, trying to find out what, what you know, defining the brief. And only after that, are you really able to establish the scope of the packages? Because, you know, we, you may not have a curtain walling package. It might may not have a brickwork package. You may not have SFS. Um, so it's very difficult to say, oh, we're going to give you um, all the SFS setting out when actually we're going for a, a brick block construction. It seems... Yeah, so- of course. So so initially you're doing a feasibility study, yeah. trying to get to a point where a concept is kind of set in stone. Obviously, it's going to move slightly as you actually develop the design. But at that point, once the feasibility is done, you have your concept in, in play, then set up this uh, design responsibilities matrix where you are saying specifically, these are the things that I'm covering, these are the things that I'm not covering. I was being a QS about this, and I was saying, okay, so let's say that what we want them to produce was 20 plans, I don't know, or 10 plans, 20 sections, 20 details, some elevation drawings, etc., etc. Is that valuable, or is that kind of just counterintuitive? I mean, it, for some for some architects it may be, but for... Me, I don't see, you know, I, you, I, you can ask me to produce, we can contractually agree that we're going to do five plans, but what if it's a six-story building that we end up going for? Then how does that, how do you quantify that? Am I going to come back and ask for more fee? <laughs> yeah. Probably not. No, yeah, I guess it's just more, uh, we, we, we see a lot of our clients go in dark and they go, well, we don't even know what they're meant to be producing, these architects. And you think, so not, maybe less so important to say, right, you'd have to do five, and if you don't, it's a problem, but more to say, you were you were supposed to have done the plans. There was going to be five, ten of them. Where are they? You're supposed to have done the elevations this month. Where are they? So, um, I guess that's... a key list of deliverables, especially. I mean, what the RIBA plan of work does is allow you to go from stage to stage and understand what whether you're at concept design or um, spatial coordination or technical design, and knowing through those stages what you want to deliver. Ultimately, you need to get a set of drawings at stage three. Well, stage two, you need to get something out to planning stage three you want to go out get pre-construction service agreement maybe with a contractor so something that can enough information and a good architect will know what that is and you know it will depend on what project it is i wanted to take a quick break from the show to share a message from our sponsor c-link Sync is software designed to streamline the process of subcontract procurement. It's a platform that helps SME developers and main contractors stay agile whilst replicating the commercial scale and savvy of large contractors. If you want to save a guaranteed minimum 5% against budget construction costs on your next project, head to www.get.c-link dot com slash podcast to find out more if you're driving or working out right now and didn't catch that url don't sweat it we've included the link in the description box for this episode now let's get back to the show 
So yeah, we were talking there about QS's desire to quantify things and and get get it right, and what that not potentially working for uh, the architect, not really even making sense to be honest with you. So what we what we've said is we're going to have this uh, design responsibility matrix, which is going to tell us which package you're going to do, where you're going to take us, and to which stages. Makes perfect sense. And in terms of we were just talking there about GA sections details, better to defining the scope of works or services agreement or however you want to call it that we wanted to provide all the GAs all the sections all the details yeah elevations for each relevant package to I mean you probably wouldn't go as far to say I need 10 drawings at one to ten five drawings at one to five you know yeah you don't it would be a full a comprehensive set of information in each I think um, the necessary information, effectively. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're not providing enough information to be built off, then we're not do- doing our job, <laughs> and we're probably not going to get any repeated work. So, you know, it's in our interest to to, to carry on. Absolutely. So, let's say that we've got this design service matrix sorted. We've got a rough scope of the work where we said enough GAs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, then in terms of the program, right? How can I, as your client, get an understanding? of approximately what you're going to do and when you're going to do it so that as the, as things progress, I have a clear sight on that. I, I know where we're at and if we're on track or off track, if that makes sense. How would you say I should do that? I mean, it obviously depends on the complexity of the project, but I mean, you'd start, I'd come at it from two ways. I'd, I'd look at the construction value and the, of the budget and work out you know, how, how complicated a building it is going to be and how long it would take to detail up all the elements if it's a very complex building that has a wide variety of different details or if it's a more simple design which you can has a number of repetitive details throughout the project then you could give typical information rather than detailing out each and every condition i think it also depends there's so many factors at play whether it be planning building regs other consultants getting a structural engineer an mep engineer principal designer getting all the design the full design team appointed and then and going from there and working from the other other way in terms of how many hours we think we're going to need to put in to deliver this many drawings or to get it to this stage. Inevitably, program is in su- is never concrete. It's always in flux because there are so many unknowns out there, we, whether you're going to dig down. But that, I mean, there is, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here because I, I, I'm happy for the program to not be as precise as the program for the construction, but I'm not happy for there to be no program. Um, and I, I feel like this is perhaps sometimes where, where, where we end up. And there's loads of variables in construction, right? And yet somehow we create these programs, which we never meet, but at least we create a program and try and foresee it, right? So I, I feel like that might be an area where even if you're saying it's going to be X weeks for, I don't know, GAs and uh, elevations followed by it in the following months we're going to do you see what i mean I, I think there can be a bit more to it yeah i think i'll just get up what, what typically what i ask for i t- generally set a program for the client and i say this is where we're going to be to the end of stage zero however or state right at the beginning and establishing or even brief definition getting to stage one and understanding that so we will potentially have given you the client the you know several options but unless a decision is made on that, then it's very hard for us to progress. We're going to, it's going to be, we need clear direction. So let me get up 
Okay. Yeah. Well, that's 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 really good. So, are, are you? Could we differentiate uh, approximate periods to move from each stage in the best case, subject to me giving you approval at each stage? Is that how you're suggesting it works? So stage zero, I can do in X weeks. If you then say yes, I can then do stage one in X weeks. Yeah, so we would always say we would want to get instructed, you know, get the uh, stage report signed off by the client and instructed to proceed to the next stage. Ultimately, in in any project, one of the main things that delays an architect is that the client has so many stakeholders, whether they be investors or boards or part, you know, third parties to go to. So we give our stage two concept design report, and then it takes six weeks to get signed off. Where that obviously hasn't been factored into our program, and we're just sat there twiddling our thumbs. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's that's fair enough, isn't it? I'm starting to build together this document now a little bit more clearly in my head you've got the matrix you've got the scope and then you're saying roughly that certain stages cost you a certain amount of times and then there's things that have to be done by the client um, to progress so let's say as an, as an example i've just got well, my latest fee proposal that we sent out last week and we say it's a, it's just to take it up to stage two up to the planning and then potentially beyond then and just we will we've given a program of what we think is achievable and we'll try to improve on that where it's reasonably practicable. But for us to achieve that program, we need the, these following five things done as soon as reasonably possible. And that is our appointment signed, along with the client confirmation of this design responsibility matrix, clarification of the full project brief, because we can be designing you know, a school on a site that's intended for a hospital. As, you know, Until we're told exactly what we need to do, we're designing the wrong thing and also prompt appointment of the design team getting those other consultants structural engineer mep engineer involved at an early stage so that you know we're not making assumptions whilst we can make rules of thumb about structure you know ultimately a structural engineer will say no you need to have your foundations here because there's something there's, there's trees over there which stop you putting a footing or a foundation or so if we're talking by stage, at what stage do you need structural engineer? At what stage do you need services engineer, ideally? Up to planning, you'd need a very nominal amount of that input, I think, for a small to medium development. I mean, it's always useful to know what structure you're going to go for, whether you're going for an RC frame, beam and block construction. And that needs to be consulted both obviously an architect will know a certain amount but the engineers the structural engineers are the specialists on that and getting a little bit of input even if it's even it's even if it's through a subcontract via an architect and we actually go we include that in our scope of services and say we will speak to structural engineer mep engineer and they can almost be not novated to the developer but sort of handed over in stage one i mean stage one would be useful stage two certainly I would always go to a structural engineer, even if it's just a mate of mine, and just talk to them about the project, see if they might want to be involved. They may say, look, you know, here's a couple of grand's worth of, we'll set aside, if you give us two grand, we'll give you enough information up to planning in order to to get it sorted. Okay, and so it brings me on onto the topic of uh, coordination. And to be honest with you, I think that perhaps talking about coordination could be something that we do in more detail, perhaps on another call, but in terms of coordination, which to be honest with you, I imagine nobody particularly wants to do because it's not why you it's not why you decided to become an architect. It's not it's not it's not the 
joyful bit, I imagine. But coordination is extremely important. I, th- I think any architect who doesn't want to be lead designer and either isn't hungry enough or isn't qualified enough, really. And you should you, you should know an architect should know exactly where a service penetration is through a slab for that building or for that unit or for wherever it is. Um, and they should know that how it joins up with the SVP above and everything. And, you know, I would say, yes, we need to coordinate that because they need to build rises around it. They need to do the setting out of the internal walls. They need to know all that. And actually coordination is a parameter with which it restricts certain other elements. So you have to know about it. Otherwise you're, you're not going to do something that's buildable. This is why you're nominated by AJ for um, a shortlisted project because I can I can clearly see that the this is why I was really happy to be speaking to you right the the passion that you're you're showing and actually it's refreshing to hear um, that no the coordination is part and parcel of what I've got to do and like I say I would like to perhaps in 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 another episode actually talk to you in a little bit more detail about um, coordination but I just want to kind of uh, wrap up a little bit here because I think we've actually covered quite nicely in a far more intelligent from a design perspective or a far more experienced from an architect's perspective way this consultants agreement which we were talking about in episode eight and I just want to kind of summarize and tell me if you think this is wrong or if I've misunderstood something but for you to be successful and for the project to be clearly understood there's a couple of things that you want in the agreement between you and your client in the context of it being a small developer that would be uh, number one, having a uh, design responsibility matrix, which clearly identifies which elements are being taken to which stage, um, likely stage four or stage five. You would then want a bit of a scope per stage as to exactly uh, the fully developed brief that you're looking for, for those different elements. I then personally want to put a little bit of onus on you for approximate durations for those periods. So stage one is going to take this amount of time, stage two, this amount of time approximately, which you can then say, no problem, I can do that. But on that date, uh, you have to come back to me and the onus is then on you, which I think is absolutely fair. You then want to ideally have some certainty on consultants being employed around about stage two, stage three even, and maybe a little bit in stage two to support you getting that final yeah, planning I design. So. I mean, you, you want to you want to go for planning with something that you know is buildable. You almost want to take it, you want to take it beyond stage two in order to go back to stage two and dumb it down for the planners. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Well, that's, that's, that's quite interesting. So you, you do want to kind of bridge to stage three and then scale it down a I little mean, bit. yeah stage stage two stage two plus is what okay. we sometimes talk about um with a number of developers and whether it's actually a lot of developers seem to take on a architect at stage two when they've already had a feasibility study done by someone else and the concept design done by someone else um, who might be cheaper and actually we end up then spending two to three weeks going through it all tearing it apart saying this doesn't work that doesn't work you've got planning now we're going to have to go back for back to planning which is going to be another eight weeks um because your staircase doesn't work um you literally is unbuildable so so ideally get us from the start allow us to take it all the way through we're talking the perfect case here but and then there will be some consultants that you need or it's better to have at those stage two, stage two plus stages, and then in yeah, I mean it would be a nominal nominal fee. Yeah. yeah, and and then in stage three, I absolutely want to have certainty on when I'm going to have my structural engineer and my services engineer, depending on the complexity of the project, right? 
for planning, it depends on the, again on the complexity of the project. They may ask for certain information about SUDS uh, strategy or you know how it's going to be linked into the local sewage system or anything like that. Or they may they may ask for that to be discharged as part of a condition, which could be through stage three. But getting that knowledge and knowing that at least getting you know a, a civils engineer to work that out so that you know you're not going to have to go back to planning and move the building by three meters at a later stage, which is just going to cock up the program even more so actually getting that professional advice at an early stage is i think worth it invaluable and it pays dividends it's, it's we, we, we discuss this almost every week it seems on own, own the build it, it is if you spend a little bit more at the front end and you don't cut those corners which are appealing to cut you reap the rewards for the rest of the project right and, and nobody wants to go back to planet it's the last thing anyone wants to do so that makes total sense and then the last thing that i'm going to add in to our little mini consultants agreement scope of work whatever we want to call it is that in terms of coordination and in terms of leading the design the architect should be the person to do it and that should be built into your consultants agreement I, th- I think I think so. It should be built into the agreement, and it should be built into the fee as well. And you know, especially outlined in the design responsibility matrix, every little package that we are, want to be full design on. So typically, you do primary, secondary, and coordination. So P, S, and C. You put a P where you're we're primary, and you know, for the plumbing, we'll put a C for coordination. And are you sure, Hugo? Are you sure that when this podcast goes out? That there isn't you're gonna not get a lot of uh, hate mail from other architects saying we don't want to do the coordination that's the last thing we want to do well they don't have to do it we'll, we'll do it instead <laughs> <laughs> excellent well look i have um that's been really insightful really really useful i feel like we're building out this document now which lots of people are going to understand lots of people are going to be able to use to their benefit and um it was really really good to uh finally Uh, chat with you Hugo and actually meet you so uh, thanks very much for coming on today Uh, thanks Paul cheers great lovely stuff